I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Hello, welcome back to To Be Honest. Now let us set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating some heavy machinery. Take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your worries go. Let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe. Feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe. All is well, and so it is. Take another deep breath in. And exhale out with a loud sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. I'm sure you have heard of the saying, "Love is blind." And guess what? Science has proved that love is indeed blind. Beyond the love songs, romantic poems, passionate novels, and Hollywood movies, love is a result of complex processes in the body. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about where does our brain love. The message of my work has always been the same, and that is to know and understand how our mind, body, and soul function. Together, in order for us to live life to our fullest potential, 
there is no exception on the topic of love. And in this episode, I am to share with you a few parts of the brain that help people experience affection, meaning love. Now, 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 don't worry. I am not going to give you a neuroscience lesson. However, it is important to know why science says that love is indeed blind, particularly if you think you are unlucky in choosing the wrong person for a partner. This episode is for you. So in order to make it easier for you, I'm just going to touch on a few essential parts of the brain, such as hippocampus, medial insula, anterior cingulate. Now, these three parts of the brain help regulate feelings of reward. They are also responsible for the development of love. The pituitary gland regulates hormones and secretes them into our body. Now, the next one is an important one, hypothalamus. This is where oxytocin is being produced. Actually, it is oxytocin and vasopressin, all of which are necessary in the process of falling in love. The part of the brain that moderates our fear and stress is the amygdala. And it is here that the amygdala generates the fight, flight, or freeze response when we feel threatened or in danger. What about our erogenous zones or hotspots? The erogenous zones are parts of the body that are particularly responsive to stimulation resulting often in sexual excitement. Now, these are popular hotspots on both men and women. So where are these hotspots located in our body? For one, eyelids, forehead, even the scalp, ears, lips, neck, our abs, back of the knees, and feet. To be honest, if you have not experienced those hotspots personally, I'm sure you have seen people kissing those body parts in a Hollywood movie. And now you know why. And don't be surprised that there are a lot of people get aroused by feet. Yes, feet. Well, in the past, it's known as a foot fetish. Now that we know the science behind it, it is quite normal. All right, so now let me guide you step by step to falling in love. Step one, the hypothalamus releases dopamine into the body, causing feelings of ecstasy and excitement. As dopamine levels increase, serotonin levels decrease. Now you may ask, what what is serotonin? Serotonin is responsible for a person's mood and appetite, among other things. Now bear in mind, the lower levels of serotonin are similar to levels found in people with obsessive-compulsive disorders. Now this may result in feelings of obsession or infatuation. Moving along to step three, along with dopamine, the body also produces a substance which not a lot of people know. It's called nerve growth factor. So let's call it NGF, nerve growth factor. 
Now, what does NGF does? NGF is more prevalent in people who are newly in love. People who are not in love or are in long-term relationships have lower levels of NGF than recent lovers. The amount of NGF in the body directly relates to the intensity of romantic feelings. Now, earlier I mentioned the love hormone oxytocin is generated by hypothalamus. So, for oxytocin and vasopressin, they are responsible for feelings of connection and commitment. So, step four is that the hypothalamus produces these two hormones, right? Oxytocin. The love hormone and vasopressin. They are then stored in the pituitary gland, which secretes hormones onto our body. In time of extreme passion, such as during orgasm, these hormones enter the bloodstream. The presence of the two chemicals is often attributed in part to the success of long-term relationships because they feel good, feel good feelings. Now pay attention. Here comes the part that why science says love is blind. Step five is that when these hormones affect different parts of our brain, because of these sections' nearness, certain responses occur, such as activity increases in the romantic core of the brain. The amygdala deactivates the fight, flight, or freeze—the part that moderates our fear. Then it leads a person's standard for judging others grow blurry. Why? Because the person in love feels less stress and fear. Why? Because the amygdala is deactivated. Remember. So, my audience, with all that happening, the result is an overall feeling of unity between people in love. So there you have it. Love is indeed blind. When we are in that state of mind, we will not be able to see the other person's red flags. That's for sure. So, what do we know about the love hormone oxytocin? Now, our current understanding is that oxytocin is not just a hormone that causes us to fall in love and bond with a partner or child. That's when a woman gives birth. Its functions in the brain seem to be as a social connection enhancer, a driving factor behind in-group bonding. Now, those factors can be both positive and negative. Oxytocin supports feelings of trust, generosity, empathy, and openness that contribute to the formation of nations, tribes, family units, romantic bonds, and parent-child relationships. But it can also drive ethnocentrism, xenophobia. Phobia, envy, and aggression toward non-group members. So you may ask, how does oxytocin、uh, do that? It does this by stimulating the creation of new synaptic connections. This literally makes room in your habits, processes, and thought patterns for the person or group that initiates the oxytocin release. During social interactions, oxytocin will also amplify the signals focused on the social exchange and inhibit signals that are not related to it. 
If you don't have enough, it can be very difficult to focus on social interactions. Oxytocin also increases the impact of emotionally heightened events that have social relevance. It will amplify the memory of your first kiss, a demonstration of positive social interaction, but will also intensify the memory of a mugging, a very negative social interaction. And guess what? There are differences between the gender. Here's the real kicker: oxytocin has significantly different effects in men and women. The behavioral and hormonal implications of oxytocin are different between the sexes, especially as it relates to sex hormones and stress levels. And we don't yet have research on the nuances and differentials for transgender people. Regardless, these nuances must be considered any time you are trying to affect your own levels of oxytocin. The most practical difference that you will notice when boosting oxytocin is that a large surge of it will often leave a woman feeling charged. That means wanting to be attentive to social bonds in the form of care giving, cuddling, etc., and leave men feeling sleepy or drained. In women, oxytocin surges in huge amounts during orgasms, childbirth, and breastfeeding. Well, it makes sense that childbirth and breastfeeding it serves an important role in the processes themselves because contracting the uterus during childbirth and releasing milk during breastfeeding is a must for the child, and in the emotional impact it has on the mother, it is to bond with her child. Oxytocin also plays an integral and nuanced role in regulating estrogen and progesterone levels. Actually, for women, high levels of oxytocin, estrogen, and progesterone are associated with decreased levels of cortisol and decreased overall stress levels in women. So, ladies out there, I'm sure you will want to have more oxytocin, estrogen, and progesterone. Now, that is not the case for men. High levels of estrogen, progesterone, and oxytocin will increase levels of cortisol in men, and therefore increase feelings of stress. Actually, unlike women, the combination surge of estrogen, progesterone, and oxytocin will cause men to feel very emotional, to act moody, and more often than not, to act overly aggressive. Now, this is not to say that men shouldn't perform bonding activities that produce oxytocin, estrogen, and progesterone. It is to say that men need to be aware enough to balance those bonding behaviors. With testosterone-producing behaviors that drive down cortisol levels, women require this balance too. But overdoing the oxytocin behaviors won't produce the same stress response in women、uh, that it does in men. So it will be wise to remember that. All right, let's get down to the good stuff. The next logical question to ask oneself is: How can I increase my oxytocin level? Right now, first of all, there are a few things that you must understand. What does it feel like when oxytocin is low for you? Oxytocin deficiency can feel like social isolation. 
Remember, humans are social animals. So I'm sure you still remember, or some of you are still experiencing isolation due to COVID or Omicron. This can have a profound mental emotional impact. In less extreme forms, it can simply feel like lack of trust or connection with the people around you. This can be difficulty keeping eye contact, missing or misinterpreting social cues, or have difficulty focusing on social interactions. It can also feel like lack of ability to trust. Now, in women, ladies, low oxytocin presents in a greater variety of ways. So, it, at times, it can be challenging, including hormonal dysregulation, especially of sex hormones, inability to orgasm, and difficulty breastfeeding if you have a newborn. You may want to practice oxytocin-boosting behaviors if you choose to do the following: form a new romantic relationship. Well, providing you don't have one already, okay. Increase feelings of trust with someone or with yourself. Start with self. Lack of self-trust is a big sign that you could use some more oxytocin in your life. Bond with your child or your fur babies. That will work. Increase your ability to read and relate to other people. Now the next question is: What does it feel like when oxytocin is high? High oxytocin levels feel like a deep emotional connection with a person or group. It will feel like trust that you are able to rely on those people or animals to do certain things. It will usually feel like safety and security with a certain person or group. So that high feeling you get for the first six months of a romantic relationship is the result of oxytocin teaming up with dopamine to make room in your brain for. Connections to that person, therefore, is called the love hormone. Remember earlier, I mentioned that this is not always fluffy like Valentine's Day bonding. If oxytocin is too high, especially in men, it can be responsible for feelings of defensiveness and high levels of aggression, especially toward non-group members. So, if it surges with cortisol during a social traumatic event, it can contribute to the formation of deeply held traumatic memories. My audience, I shall end this episode by giving you a few tips on self-driven behaviors to increase your ability to make and use oxytocin. Number one, be trustworthy. Honor your commitments to both yourself and other people. Create reasons why you can be trusted, and make it a point to note to yourself that you have honored your commitments. Number two, forgive a grudge. Holding a grudge tanks your oxytocin and does a pretty good job of increasing your cortisol. Letting go of old grudges is a great way to allow your oxytocin pathways to recover. So remember, forgiveness is about you, not about the person you are forgiving. Number three. Take note of positive social interactions. Every time you feel a positive reaction with a person, animal, digital relationship, or group of people, pause and remind yourself: I'm creating this feeling. Acknowledging that you are creating it gives it a chance to grow. Last and not least. 
take a warm shower or bath. Being warm stimulates oxytocin production. It's a quick and easy way to give yourself a head start without a disciplined mental practice. Bonus points if it's an Epsom salt bath. The magnesium in the Epsom salt will help your oxytocin receptors function. Now that you know what to do the next time you find your oxytocin, the love hormone is low. So thank you for listening. Until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O.com. <laughs> <laughs>